Good morning and welcome to what is presumably our last, we'll see, but our last discussion of the Nicene Creed. I know it's been really, really spread out. Maybe it's helpful to tell you, oh, I'm supposed to do this Sunday, December 17th, Adult Forum, Nicene Creed. Okay, uh, I'm supposed to tell you, next week, no forum. Right? Um, week after that, that's New Year's Eve, probably no forum, just Happy New Year. Week after that, the 7th, Bishop Visitation, there'll be breakfast. And directly from Bishop Monteroso, it should be at school, because we, we don't really get bishops to do the forum to school. He's here the whole day. He's even going to confirm people at 8 o'clock and 10.30. So that'll be like a treat. This is the new deal with us having a fourth bishop in the diocese. It just is really now more flexible than we do the whole deal, which is cool. So you'll get to meet him. You'll want to come to that breakfast and to meet your new bishop. I mean, it's the best place you're going to meet. Uh, week after that, no forum, because I'll be in Jordan. And then I'll come back and we'll discuss something new. Yeah, Jordan next week. So, off on, off on, off on. Yeah, Morella is like sounding jealous that I'm going to Petra. Of course, you can go to Petra yourself. Uh, um, That's not a joke. I don't know anything about it. You don't know. I mean, I just read a book about it. You guys act like I've got secret knowledge. I'm just going on a trip. Okay, anyway. I just read about it when I go. I mean, you can go to Iran. I will tell you this. It's going to sound crazy, right? Iran is the best country I've ever been to. Best place in the world to go. I don't, I don't know about Russia. <laughs> I would love to go to Iran. I really would. But no, I won't tell you. Um, and I'd love to go to Saudi Arabia, too. But Iran is the most safer in some ways in Iran than I was in something else. That's, I mean, that's crazy to say. Right? And the culture there, right? You're talking about 4,000. Okay, that's not about the Nicene Creed, so we're going to talk about that. When I come back, we'll probably talk about Jordan a bit, you know, because what I get to see, for those of you who went to Israel, the reason we go to Jordan is to get every biblical site. We find out today that Jesus was baptized in Bethany. Now, we went to a baptismal site in Jordan. I'll be going to Bethany. That's in Jordan. So I'm sure it'll look just like the other place, except that's also where um, uh, Lazarus and Mary Martha supposedly were. So just be like a different site. I no need to compete. It's different. And Mount Nebo is there. That's where Moshe looked down over the promised land. And then one of the cities was the capital. It's actually two. The capital, the rich one of them, and Beit Shean. That's one of the ten 
cities that were like independent city states from Rome and were sort of like, they, they paid enough that they got personal liberty. Uh, but Gerath, right outside of Amman, so, so those are sort of some of the major, major places that, that we get to go. And then, of course, there's the land of David. Friedrich Schleiermacher, and in his systematic theology, 
Kelly Freeman, because we made a systematic theology. Uh, the Holy Spirit is in the appendix. The appendix because it's it kind of rendered a sort of a non-necessity even in the Again, most Christians don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you a little bit about why that is. Um, but 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 Spirit is a really weird word. At right one, we don't say Spirit. We say It is a fading tradition. It, it is. It's a fading tradition with my utilitarian generation, you know, um, which means that my daughter will cherish it. <laughs> so, so don't throw that away. Uh, anyway, um, they're set apart because they have a special purpose, right? And, and essentially what I tell our day school children is that we have a whole set of vocabulary for things in church that are, that are really equivalent to things outside of church. The reason we use churchy talk is to say that these things are extraordinary. So a packing is a plate. It is. But it's an extraordinary plate because it's used to give an extraordinary meal. Does that sort of make sense? A chalice is just a cup. A big cup. But it's a cup. And we use that word to say this is not normal. And the stuff in it's not normal either. I mean, that's sort of the deal. When the Bible says, be holy as God is holy, it sort of says, be extraordinary with the assumption, right, that, that uh, there's a lot of assumptions about what normalcy looks like. Normalcy looks like, well, looks like using the same things all the time. We use different things to market different meanings. Sacraments are really holy things, but that's not a piety term because they have extraordinary content. That's what we're trying to communicate. It was extremely normal to wear garments of two kinds of fabric. That's normal today. Cotton poly blend. My clerical shirt is made of two fabrics, which makes it not holy. Holy stuff is made of one fabric. That's in Leviticus. And so Hebrew people can't wear normal stuff because they can't be normal people. That's how the law reads. Normal people sow two kinds of seeds in the same field. Holy people sow one kind of seed field. That's so that they can set themselves apart, not just in their beliefs, but the way they act every single day. This is why
But this word is about setting yourself apart positively. Holiness is about setting yourself apart in a way that's extraordinary, that's life-giving. And then spirit, remember, in Hebrew is a, is, and in Greek both, really just means a movement of air. Typically that happens two ways. Breathing moves air, and wind is a movement of air. Greek language is really saying where we say all your spirit is like your soul, which is like this invisible entity inside of you that is separate from your body. And remember, um, that's a platonic, a neoplatonic idea in Greek. Therefore, us or the head. You don't have a spirit in Hebrew, you are a spirit. Remember, your spirit does not live in your heart. Change that in metaphysicism. The spirit's in your heart. The center of your being is here. In the Bible, the center of your being is here. That's where your will is. Your spirit, though, always lives right where in your mind. Because that's where you are. Air flows. It's interesting to think about personification of God. Part of the Trinity is an extraordinary movement of air. Some ethereal ghost entity, but a breath. And not just a breath, uh, like we breathe, like a <sighs> long Spanish today. It's not one of those. Um, really, this is that, that, that idea that back in Genesis, when God makes the, the human being out of clay and goes <gasps> into it, it's a holy breath because it gives life to something. That would make it extraordinary. The Holy Spirit is like God breathing a life into something. Where does that miss us? I don't know. No one else knows either. I mean, the, really, the oldest mentioned star is on the, the roof of Justinian's map. Has anybody been to the Hagia Sophia? This is in Turkey. It is the biggest domed building in the world for a thousand years. I mean, that, and it has no pillars. The architectural masterpiece thousand plus years ahead of its time. It's incredible. You can go across the street um, when, when, when the, the Turks ultimately took uh, Constantinople, they felt very threatened by the Hagia Sophia, divine wisdom. That was the name of the, of the cathedral. And so they built a blue mosque across the street to show Turkish innovation and grandeur. And, and that's a huge, beautiful dome with a lot of glass. And it's got four pillars holding the dome up. Because uh, they didn't they didn't know how to do that. Incredible. Only being replaced by St. Peter. Don't know how to do it later with a lot of stuff. So, so um, when you go up there, the, the picture of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is like a tornado, sort of like a funneling thing. It's just bizarre. But, but we don't really know how to represent this in Christian exegesis. Is that okay to say? Spirit is like the wind. Nobody knows where it comes from and nobody knows where it's going. You can feel it blowing. Uh, that makes it, I think, in some ways really difficult for us to relate to. The other complication of the Holy Spirit is that there were some folks, uh, you know, there's been lots of people who said they're the new Messiah or the second coming of Christ. We've learned to be very distrustful of that. There were some folks very early, like in the 300s, 
said, oh, probably not. <laughs> and that was the early end of charismatic Christianity. And that also helped focus on the people of God. So bad, could not getting up in the service going, whoa, that's a gift of the Spirit. If that happened now, call a doctor, <laughs> right? Because from this incident, we have a fundamental Western distrust of the gift of the Holy Spirit. We do. What's interesting is that So that's where we start. So we believe in the Holy Spirit, and how we believe in that matters. Maybe it's helpful for me to tell you what we stand for. I was in this class in seminary called Issues of Women in the Church. And I sort of thought that was going to be the focus of the evening. But it ended up being global
the end of the class, we could either write a paper or we could do some projects. One of the people who was an artisan made a feminist image of the Trinity. Trin Trinity. You know, we have Father Sutton here. This is his new phrase that came out in the 70s. Creator, Trinity, Redeemer. I don't know who does what, because that's really tough. You know, I mean, to think through that. Well, I guess God's the creator then. The world was created through Jesus. So that's hard. The sustainer. Holy Spirit? Redeemer, Jesus. I guess. The, the New Zealand physics says the earth maker, king bearer, the life giver. So that's Maori theology. Indigenous to the New Zealand. James Fraser's book. I, it just killed me. really needs to hear Alan know what a father and a son are and what are not. So it leaves the Holy Spirit as to what the heck is happening. Uh, the problem with creator, sustainer, and redeemer is that those are job titles. They're not persons. Do you know what I mean? They're roles we do. And what the church decided a long time ago is that the Trinity is not there to help us understand God. It's not a tool that we use to understand and listen. The, whole, the Trinity is itself mysterious and might even complicate our ability to understand God. But the church decided that's who God is and helps us in that. It's an interesting thing to do as a pastor, to say, here's how God is, even if it impairs the understanding of God. And that means, right, that there was this early, early heresy in the church called modalism. Modalism is when you understand that the Trinity is a scaffolding to get into your schema who God is. Anybody pay education right now? You want to get somebody to make a schematic payment? They can't make A steps, so you build a scaffolding and they control the next little rock, right? Um, uh, it's, sort of, it's sort of like a ramp that's built to get you up somewhere. And once you're up there, you don't need a ramp anymore. So you can get rid of the scaffolding and you've made a schematic. Well, that's a huge heresy after Nicaea. And honestly, that's how we approach the Trinity today. As a way to help us understand God. But again, it's not intended to be helpful. Try this one out. The Trinity is no more one than it is three. That's not helpful. <laughs> that's real confusing. Hey, so anyway, back to this class. This is the first time I'd ever seen somebody make something actual. And you may not like it. It's fine. It's, and listen, I know it's not the end all be all. But this lady had made a sculpture that was a woman giving birth to a child. I suppose it was a daughter. I couldn't stand it. Then there was a midwife. Those are roles that explain what God does, but they're also personal. And even more interesting, not just third, there's a complexity. No, that one. Are, are you? No, no, no. Hey, I don't mean this is 
like, I don't mean that. I just mean, like, it's, 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 a, it's a compliment to what you're saying. historically, so again, we like to think, oh, people carefully reasoned their way into the kingdom. Mind you, uh, people were baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit before they had any theology about what that means. So the rite, the R-I-T-E, was old and widespread and entered, and people don't like me messing with their rite. Given that there was the right, theologians tried to walk it. Now that may sound like impure to you, but I just tell you that's how we got everything we have. There's a lot of people. I just want to give you an example of this way. Who complain about lots of different things we don't tolerate in the church. Um, Keep Christ out. You've seen that bumper sticker? It is amazing to me how ignorant that bumper sticker is because what they hate, those people, is the word Christmas. If you're wondering where Christmas is, where Christ is, he's right there. That's the Greek letter Chi, which stands for Christos. No one took him away. He was right there. Many people talk about how Christmas can be profaned and secularized. It was. That's how it came to be on December 25th. It was a secular holiday. It wasn't even secular. It was a pagan holiday right after the winter solstice about fertility. That's where the Christmas tree came from. It's green in the winter. It's a pagan fertility symbol. They were just pissy about it. I put it in my house because it's pretty. Where the bunnies laying eggs come from. You know, the most fertile animal is the bunny. Imagine if they laid eggs. They'd be really so, so, so this is why at a certain point we just have to push the tree so carefully so that our school, we don't do Santa Claus. But we do have a Christmas tree. But we don't do Santa we don't do Santa Claus. We don't. Okay? And at our school here, we don't do bunnies and eggs. We don't want to.
bold plans. We're not worshiping the Spirit as just something about God's movement of air that isn't right, So I know that those things take hard. But really what we've done, again, to give the Trinity is the right this statement of theology. Which this fact is made it so shape-believing. about this in Bible study class, there are some hymns that have, I'm sorry, terrible theology. Terrible. But I've been to conferences that have updated the words. The theology I like. You go to sin, I'm like, why did you sin? Because <laughs> I was formed with those words. How dare you? It's like you're telling me what I have to believe.
Lord is really important because, look, I've written it funny. If you're in the Bible study, you realize that that word is different from that word. This is God's personal name. You can't say that in Greek because it's not. It's Hebrew. But the creed is trying so hard to do that. The, the creed is trying to say the Holy Spirit is the Y word. But you can't do it in this. So it uses this word, which in Greek is the word there's only one Lord, and that's that word, interestingly enough, maybe it sounds like this. The Lord, and then, then as Susan said, the giver of life. It's we believe in the, in the holy breath. He proceeds from the Father, and this is a careful thing, right? It doesn't mean, this is why the creed gets mixed up, right? Because it says, um, proceeds from the Father, but then the, the creed has to go back and tell you that with the Father and the Son, the Spirit is worshipped and glorified. So the Spirit is not a created being or just something that the Father emanates. The creator and emanation of the Father is itself God. This is working our head logically because we care about the breather, not the breath. We think, right, and we know this, the way our lungs function is there's already air. So really what our lungs just do is they, they toss up the air. But that analogy doesn't work well with the Godhead. It's like the Spirit is the air and the processing of the air. It just doesn't, that's not a one-to-one -one analogy with the head box. And I'm going to say, I think that's why the Spirit is there. This, this phrase, in the Son, came, uh, is it Toledo? Give me a moment. Whatever. It happens in about a thousand. Anyway, this was the final straw between the Western Church and the Eastern Church. This is when, it's not the great schism. This is when there's a schism between Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox. It wasn't just this word. Um, this, is, this is not right. It's the filiation. So that just means and the son. So, so a couple things happen. One is the Bishop of Rome was competing for hegemony with the Bishop of Constantinople. He was the, the more influential patriarch of Bishop. Um, in the West, so that's Rome, they focused on sculpture. East, they had icons. Who asked the Romans if their sculpture was an idol? They would tell you, no, it was a form guiding their prayers, and they could fix their imagination on an object 
that essentially say through the object to God. How interesting that when we were faced, they saw icons, they said, those are idols. <laughs> now in the East, as opposed to the icon is never prayed to it, you pray through it, like with your satellite dish. But they looked at the sculptures and said, those are idols. So they were completely without compassion or empathy for frankly the same practice in a different form. And then the third gift was that they had this the, the hope a third of this is why I wrote it down. The hope a third of them without calling it ecumenical. So there was no council when the filial care was introduced to the city. The Pope said, I'm the Bishop of Rome and I say filial care. And that was a power play. That was the Pope saying he was bigger than an ecumenical council which had not been done before. And that was when the East said, you're excommunicated. They excommunicated the Bishop of Rome for good reason. For good reason. Of course, the Bishop of Rome excommunicated the Patriarch of Constantinople to get back at them. And there's been two churches ever since. But so imagery itself source of division. And notice we say the Roman version, not the Greek. If you go to an Orthodox church today, you're going to say, who proceeds from the Father. With the Father and the Son, the Spirit is worshipped and worshipped. Everybody hear the difference? Two words with Christians on them. And all of the rest. They probably would have stood anyway under something stillier. the image of the staff really interesting. So spirit in Hebrew is this word R E class vowel hate. So put a dot there and that tells you that it makes the E sound and then you put a line under there and, and that tells you an A. So it's the Riyadh. Now real Hebrew doesn't have either one of those lines. You just have to know where the vowel is. Interesting in Hebrew this is a feminine verb. I'm sorry, this is a feminine noun. So in Hebrew, if I'm talking about a breath or a wind, it's always she. Always. The wind is female. The breath is female. In Greek, you probably know this, even if you like work in plants or something, the word is pneuma, pneumatic, moving air. How interesting... Uh, or feminine. In Greek, there's a masculine, a feminine, and a neuter. And this is like German, too. Right? It, and there's some sense to things in to this. In German, this is going to sound really crazy when I tell you this, because there's no sense to put in gender non-position. It's not. There's not a sense. 
things that hold other things are always feminine. Boats are women. Boats are female. Things like keys that are inserted into things are always masculine. How Freudian of us linguistically. Now, I, I can't say that a, a breast in that sense seems like it would be masculine, doesn't it? Because it's not a receptacle, it's a filler. So I don't know how to explain that. What I want to tell you that's interesting with gender language, of course, is that even though the root word for, for, for breath and spirit in Hebrew is feminine, and in Greek is neuter, of course, it's crude, we say, with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped, of course. I'm not going to beat that dead horse too hard. I am going to beat it. Because uh, I think praying kids believe it. And I think when we use exclusively masculine pronouns for the Godhead, we create God in you may not believe it, but I believe that. Because you know there's the glass ceiling in the corporate world, and there's the stained glass ceiling in the church. Oh, I know Kathy Jeffrey Story was recently elected the presiding bishop, but if you knew how that came to pass, it would be very discouraging. I won't tell you. <laughs> this is a tough thing, though, for our, for our women and for our daughters, to only hear God referred to in Spirit, to me, is the easiest one because the word is feminine. It's tough, remember, to say it. That's tough. And I, and I, and I, and I love the word. But, but I will out myself as being a husband. I say, with the Father and the Son. Boom. Weird. Because it reminds me of what you said. Complimentary. Thing you should be. You should love your husband. And that's a great thing, right? That, that could be art heresy on my part, but somebody in the room is saying the right words, and that's how the creed goes, because we believe. I will tell you, you know, Lord God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, again, I, didn't, I, I can't say that. Lord God of our prayer book, I had to change Philippians. I totally agree with you. And I, and I don't challenge you to change. I mean, this is a tough thing, right? I don't think everybody should pray like, like I do. Which is why I don't have a chance to pray like how I interact with you. So might you. But that's just me. Same with the creed. I didn't say for our sake that Jesus was born a man. I didn't say that because that's not even right. Who says he, he became human? I'm not saying you have to do it. That matters to me. It may not matter to Don't change it if it doesn't matter. You get what I'm saying? And that's the interesting thing about a creed is that it can be unity of difference 
or it can be forced homo homogeneity. And you know the way that the seed was used in the service by Solomon was to force homogeneity. If you didn't say it exactly like it is written, you were an Aryan. You were in big trouble. But I just didn't think, I just didn't think that really how our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, intends for us to worship. As homogenous. I think God wants us to be. But not shouldn't have said all that other stuff. Okay, well, back on track to the truth, right? The Holy Spirit's the one who spoke to the prophets. So this is another, another idea, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who inspires. The Holy Spirit is not only the one who gives life, but the Holy Spirit is the one who says, there is life, you are ignoring. That's what prophets did. The prophets said, you are ignoring women, widows, orphans, the oppressed. You're ignoring people suffering from Jim Crow. You're ignoring people who cannot drive cars. I mean, I know that's very political in me. It is, but, but, but I think that's what the Holy Spirit does. Speaks to the prophets and says, you cannot ignore the life I intend for every individual. And that's what God Speak it out loud because you're not hearing it through your prayers. And that's the Holy Spirit. Okay, any other questions about the Spirit? very different. Mary wasn't a vessel, she was a co-conspirator. How appropriate because today Mary is Sunday. I didn't talk about very much. Mary didn't Some ways, co-conspirators, really, to get 
God first.
because of the volume that we don't feel is big enough. talk about the, the Catholic Church.